you are about to listen to another episode of the Retro Radio Podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Keith. I'll promise not to go into a tantrum next time. Retro-OTR.com It's the home of the Retrobots. Who is he talking about? I think he means us. The Retro Radio Podcast. Sharing family-friendly fun through old-time radio. I'm so sorry. The place where new tech meets old tech and likes it. I don't like him, Marshall. <laughs> Isn't he amusing, Lois? He loves his little joke. Visit us on the web at retro-otr.com. While you're there, send an email, leave a comment, or you can even use our voicemail number. 401-753-4844 It's a pleasure. We would love to hear from you. Welcome everyone, this is your host Keith, and it is time for Retro Radio Podcast. Today, I want to feature a show from Fred Allen. This is uh, called From Nobody... I'm sorry, from Nipper to Nobody is what it's called. It aired originally on April the 17th, 1940. Episode 29, for anyone who is interested. Um, One thing about this episode is it featured uh, the Mary Max, which is a singing group, and it featured Wynn Murray. Uh, apparently, Kenny Baker wouldn't be on the show until probably next season. I'd have to look it up to make sure. But Wynn Murray has always been a curiosity to me because I cannot find anything on her. Uh, from listening to shows uh, from this time frame, I know that she was a singer at the World's Fair. But every time she sings a song, whoever re- uh, recorded these uh, shows, they always snip her songs out, and she seems to have a really good singing voice. I wish I knew more about her uh, and if she actually recorded anything outside of her singing gig at the World's Fair, because, well, again, she's just really good. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I spent a lot of time looking, too. Uh, in, in this show, of course, at this time, Harry Von Zell was the announcer. Uh, I think this might be his last season coming up, and the future seasons would be Jimmy Wallington. The format for Fred's shows is an hour-long format, of course, because songs and commercials are somewhat stepped. It'll run a little bit shorter than an hour. Uh, the first half of the show was usually given over to uh, satirical news topical news items uh, today we're going to learn about loan sharks and um, one thing that's kind of a running gag to the show is Peter Van Steeten and I couldn't find a lot on him either I didn't quite look as hard for him as I did for Wynn Murray but he at the time of course was the band leader on the show he'd been on the show for five years this is his fifth year anniversary and he's bugging Fred to give him a salute, like like Jack Winnie does for his cast. And of course, all the way through, uh, he gets insulted. But the last segment, the last half of the show, is was usually given over to uh, talent, kind of shows, amateur talent. But they also would squeeze in an audio drama. And if finally, <laughs> old Peter Van Seeden, uh, he gets a salute uh, in an audio drama about his career choices, uh, The Curse of the Foot. <laughs> I don't know why they chose that as the topic, but uh, The Curse of the Foot apparently has run his career. Well, that's the show uh, in general. Uh, there's a lot of fun uh, uh, gags in there. A lot of good uh, comic uh, players, so enjoy. And that's all I really had to say about Fred Allen in the moment. That's what the feature of the show is kind of a fun one. So 
Um, here's why I say, take it away, Retrobots. Oh, right after this. Hey, this is Keith, and I just wanted to mention that I'm trying to make plans to do some upgrades on my server. I say trying to make plans because the only thing that's really going to make it happen is if listeners like you support the podcast. Well, the upgrade is basically going to cost me about 20 bucks a month. And I don't have that. I I can... <laughs> cover my current server costs but my current server is becoming overloaded and this uh, new upgrade will ensure faster and reliable downloads and no issues with buffering and uh, again to make it all happen if you out there a listener want to hit up my piggy bank icon which you can find on retro-otr.com and slip me 20 bucks through paypal what I can do for you, if you gain permission to use your name, I can mention your name or any other brief note you want to include. Just let me know uh, which month you want, and I will consider that you have just sponsored an entire month of podcasts. And for those of you who uh, can't afford 20 bucks to do a whole month, well, Another thing you could do is visit my Patreon page. You can visit uh, retrootr.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It should get you there. And I have levels for as low as a dollar, but if you could do $5 a month, that would still go a long way. And even if I have a couple people doing that, all three people doing that, can't make plans until I get real-time feedback from listeners well that's the proposition help sponsor this show uh, i could mention your name if you do the patreon thing hey maybe i could at least uh, give a shout out every month or so to folks who do that so let me know what you think let me know how i can continue to help you but i'll, I'll need some help from you all well that's what i want to mention so this has been Keith. I will go ahead and turn it back over to our regularly scheduled podcast. Okay. Take it away, Retrobots. How about something that's also from 1940 to go along with our feature? Okay, here's one from Tommy Dorsey and his hot new vocalist, Frank Sinatra. All this and heaven too.
this is mine and heaven too you give me your arms and your arms are like angel wings sweet to my ear is the song every bluebird sings each rosebud kissed by the dew all this is mine and heaven too summer day each mountain capped with snow the sentimental tree the dreamy streams that flow every country lane and every street of stone are highways of adventure made for me alone you give me your love and your love is a melody deep in my heart I will carry the song with me You bring a love so divine All this is mine and heaven too Can we do one more to liven things up? Sure. Here's the Andrews Sisters, also from 1940. Rum Boogie. Oh, Harlem's got a brand new rhythm and it's burning up the dance halls because it's so hot. They took a little Roomba rhythm and they added Boogie Boogie and now look what they've got. Rum Boogie. Boogie-woogie It's Harlem's new creation With the Cuban syncopation It's a killer Rum-boogie Rum-boogie-woogie The native rhythm haunts you It's barbaric and it taunts you It's a killer Just plant your both feet on each side Let both your hips and shoulders glide Then throw your body back and ride there's nothing like rum-boogie, rum-boogie-woogie. In Harlem or Havana, in Poughkeepsie or Savannah, you're the killer. Oh, beat me, Daddy, eight to a bar. It's Harlem's new creation with the Cuban syncopation. It's a killer. Rum boogie, rum boogie woogie. The native rhythm haunts you. It's barbaric and it taunts you. It's a killer. Just plant your toes and both feet on the side. Let both your hips and shoulders glide. Then throw your body away back and ride. Sing. A little of the rumba, the boogie, the boogie, then put them both all together. You have rum boogie. Then all together sing rum boogie, rum boogie, boogie, rum boogie. In Alamore, Vanna, in Poughkeepsie, oh, Savannah, it's a killer. It's a killer, this rum boogie. Rum boogie, rum boogie, rum boogie, woogie, 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 woogie. And now for our featured presentation. Mint was won by the Vanderbilt team. The winners were presented with a beautiful cup. Tonight we bring you a mug who has nothing to do with the Vanderbilt cup. He is Fred Allen in person. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Say, I'm glad, Harry, that you were uh, accidentally, after rehearsing all day, that you accidentally <laughs> uh, brought up the bridge tournament. Uh, uh, I was over there Saturday night. Uh, the finish was really exciting, Harry. Oh, was it noisy, Fred? It was uh, uh, a Hoyle Bedlam. 
Hoyle Bedlam, Harry. There was so much noise. A Hoyle Bedlam. Hoyle Bedlam, Harry. There was so much noise, two men who were playing chess in the corner of the room woke up. Oh, really? Uh How long had the chess game been going on? Well, they must have been playing a long time. There was dust all over one guy's bishop. (laughs) And when the other fellow woke up, he said, Tobacco Road's opening tonight. I gotta get down there. (laughs) But the chess is a great game, I mean. Let's go, fellas. Whoopee! Oh, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, What is this, Rowdy Van Steeden? Yippee! (laughs) What are you celebrating, Pete? Oh, tonight's my fifth anniversary, Harry. What? What? Uh, What anniversary? I've been on the program five years tonight, Alan. How about making a speech thanking me over the air? Well, for what? The fact that you have worked five years may be a tribute to your endurance, but it doesn't necessarily call for a eulogy. Would you say so, Harry? I don't think so. No, look <laughs> oh, Jack Benny gives Phil Harris a plug on his anniversary, doesn't he? Oh, well. <laughs> Benny pays off in honeyed phrases. <laughs> He has to give plugs. Money to Benny is a word. An obsolete word. (laughs) If you were working for Benny, you not only wouldn't get paid, he'd be wearing that tuxedo you've got on and would probably be mad at you because you've got hair yet. So, no tribute, eh? Oh, well, maybe later in the program. Pete, if I can fake something nice, I'll say it, uh, you know, I'll be... Wait, why doesn't Rockefeller fix this thing, you think? (laughs) You think the joint was a one-night stand? The worst you get is this 13 weeks, a thing like this won't last. A stand like this falling apart... Remind me to speak to John, will you, about this? And tomorrow, remind me not to, or we'll all get thrown out. Well, all right, if it doesn't slip my fires, I'll pay... <laughs> I'll pay you tribute, Pete. Oh, don't worry, pal. I'll remind you. Don't bear down on those lines. They're weak. They won't stand. <laughs> And hoping you get amnesia, we turn to the latest news of the week. Ipana News presents The World in Review. New York City, New York. District Attorney's Office starts drive to rid city of loan sharks and moneylenders violating state banking and insurance laws. City's legal staff claims that local sharks charge illegal interest rates and conspire to mulct clients borrowing, <laughs> borrowing small sums of money. Ipana News questions the man on the street to get the lowdown on the money lending racket. Piper Fink, a local investigator, has this to say about the loan shark. To me, there is only one thing lower than a loan shark. And that is? A loan shark that ain't as tall as the other loan shark. <laughs> Why, some of them loan sharks would steal the scent off in a dying skunk. Uh, that is a mighty strong statement, Mr. Fang. Yeah, well, I can back it up. Let me tell you about a case I investigated last summer. Uh, please do. I'm calling this party Mr. B. I can't divulge no name. Well, naturally, a man in your position. Mr. B is gone with a date. Yeah. She keeps edging him on to buy a car. Yeah. Well, B borrows 50 bucks from a loan shark and buys a second-hand crate. What interest was B paying? 7%. Well, that isn't so bad, 7%. 7% a day. Oh. <laughs> 49% by the week, and for the year, it's 2,500%. Why, that's larceny. It's exorbitant, but B is riding hot. <laughs> He's got a car and a day. A week goes by. And then came the dun. <laughs> yeah. The shark puts the bite on B. B ain't got the money. Yes. The loan shark takes the tires off in B's car. In lieu of? Or appertaining to. <laughs> well, comes the second week. B ain't got the money. So? So the loan shark takes the wheels off in the car. Yeah. The next week, it's the engine. Then he takes the chassis. What became of the girl? Oh, she was in the chassis when the loan shark took it. Oh. <laughs> B's car and the girl were both gone, hey? When he comes to me... B had a horn in his hand and he owed 968 bucks. What did you do? Tell him to blow? (laughs) 
the shark to court. He got 20 years. And thanks to you, justice was done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I say, there's only one thing lower than a loan shark. Oh, I know. A loan shark that isn't as tall as the no, other. No, it's a loan shark that ain't as tall as the loan shark. The other loan shark ain't as tall as. Well, that is as clear as a $2 diamond. And thank you. <laughs> Which obviously isn't clear as a line, possibly <laughs> clearer as a nugget. And thank you, Investigator Piper Pink. Uh, Piper Pink. A, uh, a young lady... <laughs> a young lady who inadvertently fell into the clutches of a loan shark and is here to tell her gruesome story in hopes that other girls will profit through her ghastly experience is Miss Yemka Duval. <laughs> you were duped, Miss Duval... Yeah, Mr. Heater. No, not Heater. It's Alan. Alan is the... Oh, that's right. This is Wednesday, ain't it? Yes, Mr. Heater. Yeah, last night I was on We the People. Yeah, this is the other program. Yeah, tomorrow night I'm on Mr. District Attorney, and my agent's out now trying to rustle up Friday. You, uh, you have an agent, do you? Yeah, you don't need no, no talent to get at the radio today. All you got to have is grief and an agent. <laughs> If you've got one, the other is a byproduct. Ain't it the truth? Yes, don't talk so quickly, Mrs. Duval. Now, what about your... Something might come up ludicrous, you know, and there you'll be stuck in the middle of one of my sentences. Now, tell us, of course, you're unused to having been on We the People. You wouldn't understand the show with this tempo we have. Now, what about your... What about your harrowing affair with the loan shark? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, if you will. Now, where do you work? I'm a snapper in a toy factory. A snapper in a toy factory? Yeah. When they make a tiddlywink set, I go around snapping the tiddlywinks to make sure the winks will tiddly. <laughs> Important work, I take it. Yeah, well, one night I'm coming home in the subway, and I happened to say to Daphne Poilboy, a girl from the factory. Yes, yeah, would be. I says, if I had 15 bucks, Daph, I'd get me a poignant. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, with that, a guy sticks his head over my shoulder and says, get off at the Calbania. And did you? Yeah, the guy tipped his hat. I know he ain't no rat. Well, naturally. That might be airing his head Something tells me he ain't top-heavy with romance, neither. Well, what did he say? He come right to the point. He says, you need 15 bucks, sister? I got 15 bucks. I'm in the loan business. It's your move. What did you say? I says, I can use 15 bucks, mister, but the party I borrow from has got to be reliable. Uh-huh. With that, I signed some paper. Well, didn't you see what it was? It's dark in them phone booths at the Calvernia. <laughs> I just took the 15 bucks, and the next night I get me poignant. And, uh, when did you... <laughs> when did you see the loan shark again? Saturday. I come out of the factory. He's waiting. What did he want? A dollar. He says, I gotta pay a dollar a week interest. I've been paying a dollar a week ever since. And when did you start? April 1936. <laughs> Four years you have been paying a dollar a week? Why, that's $1,460. That's only the interest. I still owe the guy the 15 bucks. And your advice to other girls is... Girls, if you ever go into a phone booth with a loan shark, don't sign nothing. Let us make that our thought for today. And thank you. And thank you, Yemta Duval. Ipana News now shows how an innocent man, one Falvey Titter was victimized by an unscrupulous loan outfit. One night, Falvey Titter was sitting home alone. Falvey said to himself, Jay, if I had 20 bucks, I'd get plastered. At that moment, he heard a voice on his radio say, Do you need money? A uh, home, me? Eh? Yeah, you. <laughs> if you need money, don't walk. Run to the Jiffum Loan Company. The money is yours for the asking. No bond, no reference, no questions asked. If you don't want us to see your face, back in the door. <laughs> Mention the amount and the money will be slipped into your pocket. Try the new Jibbum pay-as-you-borrow plan. You just keep borrowing to pay what you borrow. It's fun, folks.
Sid Eric heard enough. He grabbed his hat, ran ten blocks, and arrived breathless at the Jiffum Loan Company's office. Good evening, Jiffum Loan Service. Uh, good evening. I'm Falvey Titter. I want to borrow 20 bucks. Twenty dollars. Here you are, Mr. Titter. Uh, gee, thanks. Well, so long. Uh, just a minute, Mr. Titter. Uh, you, uh, you have to report to the fee committee. Those eight men sitting at that long table. Uh, gentlemen, meet Mr. Falvey Titter. Hi, Hi Mr. Titter. Hello. 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 You just borrowed $20? Uh, yes, sir. Well, I'll deduct the banker's fee. $3. Take it away, Joan. Uh-huh. I'll deduct the transaction fee. Take it away, Wells. Uh-huh. I'll deduct the insurance fee. $5. Wait. Take it away, Collins. I'll deduct the interest fee. $3. Take it away, Royal. Uh-huh. I'll deduct the equity fee. $3. Take it away, McCrawley. Uh-huh. I'll deduct the surety fee. two fifty, Leaving a net balance of exactly 50 cents. Take it away, Titter. <laughs> Only 50 cents. Well, I still got a half a buck. I'm getting out of here. Uh, just a second, Mr. Titter. Uh, you haven't paid your fee fee. <laughs> My fee fee? Well, what's your fee fee? Well, you don't think the Jippin Company can afford to maintain a staff to charge you these fees. Uh, there is a fee on every fee. A fee fee. Uh, this fee fee is passed on to you. But I only got 50 cents. 50 cents is correct. Thank you. Now I ain't got nothing. Exactly. Hey, I came in here to borrow $20. I don't get it. That is the Jiffin plan. Good night, sir. Thank you. Quartets may come and quartets may go, but no quartet goes as well with an audience as the Merrimax. And here they are to sing for you... Indeed I do. Did I do? Did I do? Thursday, ladies and gentlemen, I carefully bedded down my red bal brigands for the season. And what happens? Friday it snows and Saturday it's seven degrees below freezing. A fine thing, the Northwest having a heat wave and half the country knee-deep in blizzards. Well, I guess it all goes to prove you can't depend on spring for anything, except possibly a cold in the head. Yes, well, even that has its silver lining, Fred, because you know that anyone who is catching a spring cold can always depend on sparkling salvapak. Now, you Peter Van Steeden and his organ loft 20 have just played Woods Could I But Kiss Thy Hand. Woods Could I But Kiss Thy Hand. Whoever wrote that song obviously had no ambition. And now our guest tonight... Wait a minute, wait a minute. A laugh might show up any minute. Well, all right, give us that hello again. Hello. Fooled me, that other line. I thought that was a while, but it shows your experience. Uh, you learn nothing with it. Oh, hello, Portland. Uh, you uh, you look uh, certainly look excited. Yes, I went down to see Jack Benny arrive yesterday, and I'm still nervous. Yes, I hear there was a mob at the station, but nobody was there for Benny. The paper said that uh, as the train came in, 200 red caps rushed out into the middle of the Grand Central and spelled out Rochester. <laughs> Tell me, when Benny came up the ramp, he looked like the Lone Ranger. There was one man with him, the variety man, looking for a nag. I met a man from Paramount, and he told me Jack's new picture is wonderful. Well, that is unusual. A man from Paramount speaking well of a Paramount picture. Unusual. This man says... Jack plays a cowboy so natural, he'll bring on your hay fever. I still playing to the noses, eh? I won't believe it. Even the title of the picture is deceitful. Buck Benny rides again. When did he ride the first time? You know, they tell me that Benny sits in the saddle as though the horse had him out on approval. <laughs> Say, what's the big idea of plugging Benny, Alan? How about giving a little credit where credit is due? Now, don't interrupt this wild routine, Van Steeden. I'll get around to you later. Oh, the old brush-off, eh? How do you like that, Forty? Well, what's the matter, Peter? Today's my anniversary. I've been on the program five years, and Alan won't give me a tumble. Here I stand, wallowing in low esteem, oh, and I... Don't pout, Peter. Oh, I can't help it, Porty. I work my fingers to the tone, and quiet, what do quiet, I... Quiet, quiet, quiet. <laughs> 
buy it or I'll melt your brass section down and make a spittoon out of it. Nobody can smelt my band, Alan. I have, and I expect to again before. Don't mind, Mr. Alan Peter. I wrote a poem for your anniversary, and I'll recite it. A poem? Oh, boy. What is it called, Forty? Peter Van Steeden. Gad, what a twist. <laughs> Quiet, Alan. Go ahead, Forty. All hail to our maestro, Peter Van Steeden. For five years on this program, his boys he's been leading. Peter's band has a piccolo, xylophone, and bassoon. Tenor sax is an organ and a big bass pontoon. In the success of this program, he's been instrumental. Any resemblance between Peter Van Steeden and Mr. Leopold Stokowski is purely coincidental. Bygones be bygones. Now, what about our guest tonight? He's a designer of clothes. Dog's clothes. You mean our guest does nothing but design and tailor dog's garments? That's right. Mr. Allen, meet Mr. Stanley Falter. Why don't you meet him as long as you're here? Mr. <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Miss Portland Hoffer, may I present Mr. Stanley Falter? I'm Good evening, Portland. Uh, this is Uncle Jim, Mr. Stanley Falter. <laughs> and Uncle Jim, this is Miss uh, Portland Hoffer. Uh, my name is Alan, Uncle Jim. I'm the man who pays off when you catch me. <laughs> Kept you limber a good many years. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> good evening. Uh, these little things crop up, Stanley. When you hear nothing happen, that is what's called ad-libbing in the profession. <laughs> you, uh... <laughs> hey, Stanley catches on. He says, I see. But, uh, uh, um, Portland tells me that in the, uh, that, uh, uh, uh was ad-libbing of a form. <laughs> Ned Sparks ad lib. Port tells me, uh, Portland tells me that in the canine fashion world, Stanley, you are hailed as sort of a male Hattie Carnegie. Well, you might put it that way, Fred. Well, how would you put it, Stanley? I'm the head of Falco Products. Our company specializes in clothing for dogs. You're in the wholesale end? Yes, we sell to Wanamakers, Gimbals, and most of the big department stores. Well, you seem rather young to be the head of a company, Stanley. How old are you? I'm 22, Fred. Only 22 and one of the country's leading clothing designers for man's best friend. Well, tell me, what started you on the road to becoming a Kennel Kuppenheimer? Well, I've always liked to draw and design things, Fred, and I've always had a dog. So you just put the two together and went into business? Yes, it took a little time, but that's about how it happened. Well, say, your firm should really be called Hot Schaffner and Barks. <laughs> But tell me, Stanley, what constitutes a complete wardrobe for a, for a dog about town, say? To be up to the minute, Fred, a dog should have at least a dozen coats. Twelve Burberries, eh? Oh, and McGivney in his best days only had eight. When I was a kid... When, <laughs> when I was a kid... you got to be over 60 to enjoy that joke. When I was a kid, dogs used to run around in the nude. There was one dog in our block, Stanley, who did wear a little bib. But he was a spitz, or he drooled, or had a wet lisp or something. But tell me, what are these 12 coats for, Stanley? Some are different weights for summer and winter wear. Yeah. Other garments are for special occasions. Well, what is your most popular wrap? The coat of the month, as it were. The one the dogs are all talking about over their kennel ration. One of the models we're featuring is a hair cloth reversible sport coat. It has a tight waist to keep the dog's figure trim. Sort of a, uh, sort of a girdle effect, huh? Uh, we call it a belly band. On a movie star, it would be a sarong. <laughs> what, what are some of your other canine accoutrements? We make a snappy tuxedo for dogs. A cloth garment? No, the coat is black patent leather with a white bosom of iridescent silk. That is for formal evening wear? Yes, if the dog's master dresses, the dog should dress too. White leash is a must, of course. But tell me, do dogs, do dog styles change with the seasons? 
Yes, I designed Palm Beach sport jackets for spring and early summer and heavier garments for winter wear. You make dogs raincoats, too? Yes, we make a fine raincoat. It's waterproof silk, durable, and very practical. Well, you don't make anything for dog owners, do you? You know, like a uh, rubber mother Hubbard to, uh, <laughs> to wear while giving the dog a bath. You mean to stop the dog from shaking water on you? Yes. Up home, we used to give our dog a bath every Saturday night. Then he'd run through the house, give the whole family a shower, dimple the wallpaper, and spray two ferns with the same water. <laughs> it, um, it was economical, but messy. I think I solved that problem, Fred. I designed the dog's bathrobe. A bathrobe to put on the mutt after he's been dunked? Exactly. The robe is made of terry cloth. The dog can't shake off any water, and it serves as a lounging robe at the same time. A lounging robe. I've heard of a dog being a setter, but I've never heard of a lounger. <laughs> the next time we, uh, uh, the first thing we know, someone will be making dogs pajamas. I'm making dogs pajamas now, Fred. Well, what wouldn't they think of next before you thought of it, Stanley? <laughs> I've heard of a water spaniel who used to seep himself into a hot water bag to sleep at night. But dog's pajamas, lucky me. Well, who ties the string after the dog gets his pants on? There aren't any strings. The pajamas just slip on with no trouble at all. Well, tell me, how do you measure a dog for a garment? Now, do you, do you have to cut a hole in the floor to get down low enough to take his waist and leg measurements? <laughs> no, it's very simple. You're we... not a sunken Benham, are you? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> well, uh... We take the distance from the base of the neck to the base of the tail. Yeah. Most dogs run from 10 to 20. Except dachshunds, of course. The family, don't point, Uncle Jim. It's bad manners. It's nice enough for people to come up here. We're not going to contaminate them and send them away with bad manners. You're pointing with the one unmanicured nail on your hand. Monday you ought to be finished by now. <laughs> yes, most dogs run from 10 to 20, except dachshunds, of course. The family in the next apartment to us has a dachshund. That dog is so long, Stanley, if you step on its tail in the kitchen, he barks in the foyer. <laughs> but tell me about colors. Do you make your garments in all shades? We do, Fred. Different dogs prefer different colors, although blue seems to be their favorite shade. Is there... You didn't coin a word, that bay there, did <laughs> Is there any difference in garment styles for male? and female dogs. Do you whip up lacy dmmls for with, <laughs> with frills on the legs, dirndls, that is, with frills on the legs and ruffles about the tails for lady dogs? No, Fred. Dogs' garments are made the same for both sexes. To a mongrel modiste, then. It's sex of one and half a dozen of the other. That's right. Well, I certainly enjoyed this little informal discussion about Fido's fashions and your work, Stanley, and I hope your business will continue to grow until every dog in America is wearing one of your coats. Thank you, Fred. But stick to coats and tuxedos, Stanley. Don't ever try to make a dog's full-dress suit. Why not? You can't improve on nature. Before you ever went into business, dogs were running around in tails. <laughs> and speaking... And speaking of a dog's tail, Stanley, that is the end. Good night, Fred. Good night, and thank you, Stanley Ford. Now, Miss Wynn Murray, tonight Wynn is going to try for distance with her lyrics as she sings Way Down Yonder in New Orleans. Way down yonder in New Orleans, in the land of dreamy scenes. The Garden of Eden, that's what I mean. Three old babies with flashing eyes, softly whisper with tender sighs. Stop, oh won't you give your lady pay? Ladies and gentlemen, now that the excitement has sort of quieted down and we're more or less alone... Hi there, I... Mr. Allen, and good evening to you. Well, good evening to you, madam, and what can we do for you? Well, I just want to say I've been listening to your program for over a year, and it isn't often you've given me cause to regret the time and expense that's involved. I will thank you and thank you terribly. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight I'm here to make a goodwill gesture supreme. Aye. I'm here to get a large... 
free stop, oh, bottle of salopatica. Well, I'm afraid you have been a little too impulsive, madam, because there is definitely no large free sample of salopatica. Well, no. Uh, confidentially, Mr. Allen, do you think that's a wise move? I mean to expect folks to buy something they've never tried it. Well, you see, people have been buying salopatica now for quite a few years. Cautious people like yourself, too. Because so many physicians have recommended it, and because their friends tell them how it always proves its worth. Aye. Well, that's a good point. So you think it's a good investment, do you, Mr. Allen? I certainly do, and here's how I can tell you why. (laughs) When you start the day off feeling headachey, logy, and under the weather... A glass of sparkling sal hepatica helps you feel your best again faster. And why is that, sir? (laughs) Well, it's very simple. It's because sal hepatica helps faster in two ways. As a laxative, it is quick, yet exceptionally gentle. And in addition, sal hepatica also helps nature counteract excess gastric acidity, which chases that sickish feeling fast. So, ladies and gentlemen, get a bottle of sal hepatica at any drugstore. And see how soon you begin to feel like your old, normal, buoyant self again. When you take gentle, quick-acting Sal Hepatica. Thank you. The question of the week. This is Mr. and Mrs. Average Man's Round Table where three persons selected from our studio audience are invited to give their opinions on a question that concerns some prominent issue of the day. These little sessions are entirely unrehearsed. Fred has taken his place now at the round table, where he meets his fellow debaters for the first time. Are you ready, Fred? Yes, I am, Harry. If Portland will kindly open the uh, forum... Mr. Ray... Hey, Alan, what about my trip, you? Now, wait a minute, Peter. You have to... I'm very busy now. This, this is no place to kibitz. These, these people are strangers. We're trying to uh, operate nicely. I'll uh, catch me around later. Call me up. I'll be... Oh, shucks. And don't pad your pocket. You just have O in there. Don't put that shucks on there. All right, Portland, if you kindly excuse us, uh, uh, folks. Mr. Van Steeden uh, is sort of being lionized tonight, and we forgot to get a trainer for him. But, uh, go ahead. Mr. Raymond Marr from Brooklyn, New York. Well, good evening, Mr. Marr. Good evening, Fred. You are from, uh, uh, how is that, uh, Marr, is that spelled uh, M-A, as in Ma? you're making eyes at me? Not, not... I don't know these people. I'll put that over there. <laughs> excuse me, I... Uh... No aspersion, Mr. Ma. My cigar was lying it's, there. It's M-A-H-E-R, Fred. M-A-H-E-R. That's right. Slightly on the Irish side. Uh-huh. You're not up here looking for trouble by any chance. <laughs> well, no. uh, may I ask your uh, business or profession, Mr. Marr? I sell food for the Beechnut Packing Company. Coffee, ketchup, chili sauce. Well, wait gum. a minute. You've got one more product in now than we have here. <laughs> You sell bacon, do you? That's right, Fred. Well, this must be sort of a busman's holiday for you. Around talking about bacon all afternoon and then wasting your night talking to a ham. But uh, how do you find business around, Mr. Mayor? Business very good at the moment, Fred, especially since uh, uh, since, uh, the finish of Lent. Well, of course, naturally, with bacon, bacon after Lent, it wouldn't pick up naturally. (laughs) Shakespeare found that out, but too late. (laughs) Well, thanks a lot, uh, Mr. Mayor. I'm sorry, uh, you never get any mice in your samples, you food salesmen going around like that, do you? Never, Fred. No strange thing, a a mouse might open a trailer in your sample case going from town to town. (laughs) It would be embarrassing. Well, thank you a lot. And now, Portland. Miss Lydia O'Leary from New York City. Good evening, Miss O'Leary. Good evening, Miss Allen. May I ask your uh, profession or business or call? Well, I have a product called Covermark. You mean that you uh, make or... That I make, yes. Covermark? Or yes. what is Covermark? Well, Covermark is a preparation that conceals all discolorations and blemishes of the skin. Birthmarks, x-ray burns, acne, liver spots, You mean it's sort of a uh, uh, an epidermis camouflage that you can... It's a camouflage. What is it, a liquid or a well, grease, like a makeup or powder? See, Mr. Allen, I have a birthmark that I've had since babyhood, covering oh, the whole entire it. side of my face. 
You put this on in the morning, and it stays on all day, and it won't rub off or crack. But you can't feel it. Oh, I see. And you worked this out yourself? Yes, I did. Well, that's... 1928. It's rather unusual for a person, a girl especially, to get interested in the manufacture of any chemical pre- preparation of that sort. You don't think it will undermine plastic surgery? Oh, it's time? a big help to plastic surgery. A big they help? They use it. The after operation? Yes, during the temporary blemishes, you see, while they're healing. Oh, I see. I don't know much about it. I, I did read about a fellow who uh, had uh, two double chins and uh, <clears throat> wanted to reduce and was too lazy to go on a diet. So he resorted to, uh, uh, he had his face lifted with these two double chins, so he wound up with three chins up under his <laughs> nose here, after his face had been lifted. And meeting him on the street, uh, people used to think he was looking over a Venetian blind. No, I don't think you could do much with that. Well, thank you a lot, Miss O'Leary. And now, Portland. Mr. Frank Sullivan from New York City. Well, good evening, Mr. Sullivan. Good evening, friend. You are not Frank Sullivan, the famous humorist, the sage of Saratoga Springs, are you? No, I'm not. You aren't? Well, what is your business, if I'm not too... I'm a physical trainer, Fred. A physical trainer? You mean you condition people, rub them, or exercise them? Take them all the way through. Uh, uh, We had Charles Atlas, the world's most perfectly formed man on the program last year, and I certainly envied his uh, his, uh, development. Do you think, in my present uh, flabby condition, or Mr. Benny, you saw him come in tonight... I should really announce to the folks uh, 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 out in California what is going on here. Mr. Benny is present in our studio, ladies and gentlemen, and has thrown uh, that old Indian in the rain thing. He is a wet blanket over our... (laughs) But uh, do you think you could do anything with Mr. Benny or with me, Mr. Sullivan, if given time? I think so, yes, Mr. Well, uh, uh, leave your address when you're through. The uh, What is the athletic club, is it? I'm at the Uptown Athletic Club on 73rd Street, just west of Broadway. Well, I'll make a note on Jack Benny's shirt, because I'm going to wear it tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, we'll both be up to see you later in the week. Well, that about brings us to our question. Tonight, we abandon matters controversial and merely attempt to acquire some random opinions. There are so many mediums of entertainment, uh, entertainment available to us all today that popular creative works appear in several forms. A successful novel is written, it can be read in book form, it can be seen as a stage attraction, it can be witnessed as a picture, it can be heard over the radio. Now, our question tonight is, in what form do you most enjoy a good story? Do you prefer to read it, see it as a stage play, see it as a moving picture, or hear it over your radio? Now, first, Mr. Marr. Uh, what is your preference? I would uh, much prefer to hear it done over radio, Fred. Uh, you would rather hear a story played, uh, the radio version of it? Yes, nicely dramatized, as it probably would be, of well, course. Why, uh, why is that? It would seem to me, if you saw it in picture form, your, your eyes and your ears would be engaged simultaneously. In radio, you have nothing but your ears. Do you... Well, at home, listening in, I think that probably it would give me an added incentive incentive if I were able to sort of uh, paint the picture myself in keeping with what the cast was doing with sound effects, perhaps, and the like of that. Well, that's right, too. Well, all right, thank you very much. You favor the presentation of a story in the radio form. And now, Miss O'Leary, which is your preference? I think I prefer to read the book. Use my own imagination. You'd rather read the book. First. Uh, well, after you'd read the book, and what other medium would you rather see? Then I'd like to hear it on the radio and, and hear someone else's conception of it and how they'd portray it. Uh-huh. And then in the pictures. Oh, pictures are still in the money, though, I mean, as far as you're concerned. Well, uh, thank you a lot, Miss O'Leary. And Mr. Sullivan, would you prefer to see uh, to see or hear a story, and in which medium would you rather? Well, I prefer to lay on the couch and listen to the story over the radio. It's well dramatized. Oh, you would prefer also to hear the story on the radio. Well, of course, there are millions of people today uh, who, who, who seldom read books, who, who would go to pictures and, and uh, also listen to the radio. This is a great age of speed, and a great many people like yourself, Mr. Sullivan, who apparently don't want to put their shoes on and go out of the house, <laughs> and they'll take whatever art is piped into the house and won't bother going out looking for any uh, 
other. But this is really the day of the Digest magazine and, and whatnot, and, and perhaps that influence, has influenced you, too. Have you, uh, of course, you're going to attend Mr. Benny's picture when it opens. I mean... Oh, yes. When Buck Benny rides again. You're going to see it when it comes to the Paramount? I certainly am. week from tonight? I hope so, because that will give you an opportunity, Mr. Sullivan, to test your theory. <laughs> now, after you see... <laughs> now, you'll have a great basis for comparison there, because you will see Mr. Benny as he is, and then Sunday you can hear him, and then you can work out, and uh, we'd like to have you back sometime to tell us which of the two mediums won out uh, ultimately. Well, our committee stands apparently two for the radio versions, and uh, Miss O'Leary for, for the stories in book form. Well, I'm sure that our little discussion will have no great effect on the forthcoming book of the month, the picture of the week, the play of the year, or the radio drama of tomorrow. People will continue to enjoy themselves in the manner to which they have become accustomed. As the fellow said when he married the spiritualist, a man can be happy with his medium. On this note of ectoplasmic gaiety, our meeting is adjourned. And thank you all kindly for your help tonight. Thank you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Merrimacks, this time with a vocal stowaway in their midst, attempt to answer the musical question of swinglining the classics. They are featured in our own capsule version of a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan's Mikado for you to make your choice. Will it be sweet? Will it be swing? At any rate, the tune will be Titwillow. On a chair by a mirror, a pretty girl sat. She was crying and sighing and crying. Though her dress was in fashion and so was her hat. She was sighing and crying. Thank you, and now, the mighty Alan Art players. Tonight, ladies Come and gentlemen... Come on. Fun is fun, Alan, but what about my anniversary? All right, all right. I guess we'll never hear the end of it if we don't celebrate. Okay, if you feel that way about it, skip it. It's my anniversary, but we'll just forget the whole thing. All right, we'll forget it. Oh, forget the whole oh, thing. Oh, now, wait a minute, Alan. <laughs> Don't be too hasty. Well, you just said forget it, didn't you? Well, you know me with that marvelous sense of humor. <laughs> no, I didn't know that side of you. You were kidding, I. What else? Go ahead and celebrate my anniversary. Oh, well. Enjoy yourself, Alan. All right. Pull up a piece of air conditioning and sit down, Mr. Van Steeden. And now, ladies and gentlemen, in response to the insistent one-man demand of our tousled and zealous maestro, we present a cavalcade of unimportant events that influenced the negative career of Peter Van Steeden. It is called From Nipper to Nobody. Or Van Steeden didn't curse the day he was born, but everyone else did. Overture, our hero... Millions of people hear Peter Van Steeden's music over their radios every Wednesday night. As the opening strains of his theme song blast through the nation's loudspeakers, the man at home invariably says, Here's Van Steeden, Ma. Get me the cotton for my ears. The man in the street says, Van Steeden made me the man in the street. His music drove me out of the house. A prominent music critic once said, Van Steeden? Never heard of him. On a recent quiz program, a contestant was asked, What musician has been a conductor for 20 years and is still at the foot of his profession? Peter Van Steeden. That is correct. Absolutely correct. <laughs> yes, that is correct. It is common knowledge in musical circles that Van Steeden is still at the foot of his profession. Only a few people know, however, that all through Van Steeden's life, the foot has played a sinister role in our maestro's lackluster career. The day Van Steeden was born, the curse of the foot became known. The stalk, hanging his head in shame, had just skulked up the flue. The nurse brought the baby in to Papa Van Steeden. It's a boy, Mr. Van Steeden. A boy? Yes, look. Why, uh, <laughs> he's so little. How much does he weigh? Two pounds without his safety pin. Uh, how tall is he? He's 12 inches long. Well, Twelve inches is not the whole baby. Twelve inches is a foot. A foot? Himmel! 
the fatal curse of the foot was upon Peter Van Steeden. As a baby, he lay curled at the foot of his cradle. He refused all foods but Tootsie Rolls. Later at school, the world knew that Van Steeden was doomed. At kindergarten, his teacher said, Peter Van Steeden, you're hopeless. Go to the foot of the class. At grammar school, his instructor said, No, Van Steeden, an epistle is not the wife of an apostle. Go to the foot of the class. High school, it was the same old story. Wrong, Van Steeden. Bacteria is not the rear entrance of a cafeteria. <laughs> Always the foot. At the age of 17, young Van Steeden, now a buxom clod, wondered, wondered if he was ever to go up the leg of life and escape the eternal foot. Resolving to peek ahead into the future, he consulted Zaza, the gypsy fortune teller. Tell me, gypsy, what do you see in your crystal ball? I see a strange vision. Yes? It is a stocking. A stocking? But wait, the stocking is coming off. I see a foot. A foot? Yes. For you, the zodiac makes a new sign. Your destiny is in the hands of a foot. Two dollars, please. Two dollars for that phony reading? I won't pay it. Then Zaza was correct. The curse of the foot has begun. You mean? Yes, Peter Van Steeden. You are a heel. The carefree youth lived down to the gypsy's character reading and never did pay her the two dollars. When Van Steeden was 18, an uncle died and left him a corkscrew. He had no choice. He had to go to college. For four years, Van Steeden... For four years, Van Steeden lapped up learning and libations. And then came the day of his final exams. He was all a twit as he entered Dean Flunk's office. Yes, uh, sit down, Van Steeden. Thank you, Dean Flunk. Van Steeden, you've made a sorry showing. In your four years here at Yarvard... You have learned nothing but Ann Sheridan's phone number. <laughs> Haven't you done any research? Yes, sir. I've got her address, too. Oh, well, what is it? <laughs> oh, yes. Now, Van Steeden, I'm going to ask you one simple question about English literature. If you answer it, Van Steeden... I graduate? Exactly. If you flunk it, you're expelled. Okay. What's the question? Who wrote Pilgrim's Progress? Well, I... I th Sorry, your time is up, Van Steeden. <laughs> your time is up, and you're expelled. Okay, but who wrote Pilgrim's Progress? John Bunyan. Bunyan? Again the foot! And so young Van Steeden was thrown out of college on his curricula. Determined... <laughs> Determined to thwart the curse of the foot, he sought a profession where only his hands would be called into play. Surgery. Van Steeden would become a surgeon. After sitting through four Dr. Kildare movies, he had no difficulty in passing his medical exams. One day, as intern Van Steeden was putting a blowout patch on one of his rubber gloves, the chief surgeon at the Payo Clinic entered the lab. Uh, Dr. Van Steeden? Yes? A patient in Ward 54 has had a turn for the worse. What did you give him for breakfast? Oh, just a couple of Florida oranges. Florida No wonder the patient has suffered a relapse. But Florida oranges... The patient sir. is the senator from California. <laughs> His stomach resents this disloyalty. I think you're wrong, Doctor. Don't question my diagnosis, you apprentice sawbones. Remember, I studied two years under Paul Muni at Warner Brothers. <laughs> to a California senator. Your stupidity has endangered the life of a patient. You're fired. What has the patient got, Dr. Scalpel? Tomaine. Tomaine? Again the foot! And so the ominous curse of the foot kicked Van Steeden out of the medical profession. In desperation, he turned to acting, but the fatal spell was not to be denied. After he had appeared in several consecutive failures, any theater he was billed to play in became known as a flop house. <laughs> One day, the great director, Stanislavski, took him behind a water cooler at the Lambs Club and said, One season, giving up the theater, you will never be an actor. Why not, Boris? Your acting has no soul. Soul? 
Again the foot! And so it has gone through the years. In 1933, Van Steeden made a final attempt to escape the curse of the foot. Feet have nothing to do with leading a band. You simply wave your hands at a group of men slouched behind instruments, and if they are in the mood, they respond with music. Van Steeden decided to become a maestro. A waiter acquaintance at McGinnis's restaurant loaned him a tuxedo. A quarter dropped at the corner of Broadway and 49th Street brought 200 musicians on the run. A band was hurriedly selected, and in 1935, Van Steedens and his fugitives from an upbeat joined this program. The first number Van Steedens' band played was... In 1936, jazz music was introduced. Van Steeden met the challenge of the current vogue, and that year his band played... In 1937, 1937, syncopated jazz overnight became passé. Sweet music was the rage. Always abreast of the times, Van Steeden completely changed his style. And that year his band played. In 1938, came swing. Once again, Van Steeden in the vanguard revolutionized his symphonic setup. And that year his band played... And tonight, April 17th, 1940 A.D., we find Van Steeden celebrating his fifth anniversary on this program. And unfortunately, it cuts off there. Sorry about that. But the only thing left I have to say is presented by Retro-OTR.com. The poet only knows one poem, Slate. Yeah, wave him goodbye. A fond farewell, 